Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. This is Sam, and as always, we've got Andy calling in from Austin. And Andy, this is normally when I would ask you how you're doing, but I know how you're doing because you just watched Batman about 24 hours ago. And uh, according to our group chat, I know how you feel about that. It's pretty fuego, wasn't it? I got to see it in like the best way possible, like middle of the day showing like in a a theater alone uh Heavy I live right across the street from a uh alma draft house location here in austin so got to just like go into a theater get some food and then just sit there in a totally empty theater and like experience the batman by myself which is exactly how i would watch every movie if i could the matinee showings are so underrated i don't know if you get the price anymore i know a lot of theaters are, are like upping the price because it's batman which I understand why they're doing that, but I just love matinees. I love, yeah, 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 you can't go crazy on like the popcorn and the food, or at least you might not, but I love going at 10 a.m. with coffee in hand and watching a film. For some reason, I find that so much better than like fighting crowds at like 9 p.m. Yeah, I think they both have their place. Like going to a, I've gone to like midnight screenings of stuff, and that has an energy that is really cool. You know, when the crowd's like into a movie, that can be yeah. its own experience, but. Yeah, I definitely love, like, the 11 a.m. showing of the Batman, like, eating lunch, effectively, like, just yeah. getting food from Alamo and just sitting there in, in my seat. It only cost me, like, nine bucks for the ticket, which is pretty cheap for a movie these days. That is um, really cheap. I, we, we did, like, 13 bucks, and then we paid for a little bit of food. Not much. Like, we got, like, popcorn, drinks, and then maybe, like, one snack. This is at a movie house and eatery, and it was, like, 85 bucks all in for two people. That's kind of how it is these days. Yeah. I mean, they're they're smart to do that, man. Like, I'm never going back to, like, a Cinemark where it's just, like, the $20 popcorn bucket and sitting in, like, shitty seats with kids from middle school. You know what I mean? Like, I love having a table. I love the, the cushy chairs that I can, like, maneuver with. I like a smaller audience, like, because they have to accommodate, like, the waiters and the tables and stuff. They're forced to put fewer seats into a theater, and I don't mind paying extra to have like a, a, a smaller number and the increased price kind of keeps like what we were in middle school, like groups of the 25 Scarcos. kids coming in that just want to like make out in the back row. Like that's kind of eliminated at Alamo, which is great. Um, Humble brag for you saying that you, you were making out with girls in high school. <laughs> yeah. It was called SWAT. It starred Colin Farrell, who was also in this movie and it was awesome. So <laughs> SWAT dude, speaking of that, I was, I was thinking about all the, the movies that I had gone to see midnight premieres. I have not seen many midnight premieres after like college or even in college, but I feel like in high school, that was a big thing for me. Oh, yeah. um, a few of the midnight premieres that I remember seeing off the top of my head, because I know you shared some of them either with me or like in the same theater is I saw the Batman Begins and the Dark Knight midnight yep. premieres, which yep. both were awesome, especially uh, the Dark Knight. Dark Knight Midnight Premiere was one of the greatest movie-going experiences of my life. Like, we had never seen anything like that at that point. We were just like, this is crazy. Especially the way that movie starts with the heist scene with the Jokers. Oh, yeah, so nuts. great. And then the other two that I remember seeing Midnight Premieres for was Borat, which... Yeah. Like, that was a movie that was... It ages kind of well, It's it, but it's not the same level as, like, you're in high school... You're there with all of your high school friends in a packed theater, and you don't know what to expect, and you watch Borat for the first time with no, like, the jokes haven't been running into the ground or anything. Exactly. That probably was the funniest movie-going experience I'd ever seen, ever, with all those variables considered. And then Bruno, 
Yeah. Saw Bruno live. And then, um, funny enough, I won't get into the whole details for it. Um, I saw the Twilight Midnight premiere and did not know what I, I was getting think, into. I can only think of one one route by which you could go to a Twilight Midnight yeah, premiere. Yeah, it, 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 involved, it involved going for a girl and it was like not, it was not what I expected. I was basically bought tickets as a favor and somebody said it was about vampires and werewolves. And I was like, that sounds kind of cool. And I yeah. didn't realize the mushy teen drama. And I didn't realize it was going to be like a horrible film. You were also, waiting for like so. Blade and it was not Blade. Yeah. And then once once I got in line and saw like, I, I, I'm kind of an anime kid, so I can make fun of them. Like when I saw like the true like wee bets and yeah. girls that were acting like cats and like I was one of the only males in the entire line, I was like, I'm probably not. Who this? Bro, if, <laughs> I'm if you probably wanna, not the target audience. If you want to see like full dork mode, I went to several midnight releases for the Harry Potter books when they were still coming out, like the book books. And so I went to Goblet of Fire at the Barnes and Noble. I'm trying to think where the Barnes and Noble was that we went to in Allen, but went to Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, and Deathly Hallows, and that was full on like people in costumes, like doing all the spells, the spells and stuff. Yeah. Um, but getting the book was awesome. Like when they'd bring in the big boxes and everyone was just like, holy shit, they're here. And like trying to read it, like with the, the rhythm of the streetlights going home, like you're trying to read yeah. like as many lines as you can while there's, cause you know, I don't know if your parents told you this, but it's actually illegal to drive with the dome light on in the car. So you can't have yeah. the light on in the car or you'll get arrested. So I love that meme. That's like dad's when you turn on the back light and it and it shows the clip from chernobyl where it's like the the state the mother the, the motherland finds you guilty of high treason and you will be sentenced to death <laughs> yeah, yeah i i dude another thing that plays really well into those book releases was the covers looked great and the book was so heavy and there was like texture to the cover like you could feel yeah. like not only like the lettering of the words harry potter but like i, I can still to this day remember it's almost like a reptilian feel to it like yeah. dude it was so great getting one and, of those and they books. were each very unique in their color like none of them looked yes. the same like when deathly hallows came out and it was like this bright orange really thick book you were just like oh my god cool here we go what's gonna happen good stuff so tying into twilight robert pattinson it's interesting he being the star of batman i saw a lot of people talking about like how surprised they were a that he got the role but then b how well he did and i gotta say and you know this better than i do um being a little bit more of a movie buff than me like robert pattinson is a legitimately good actor and has been a good actor for years so the surprise is is a little bit unwarranted i i think he's going to be one of the great actors of this generation you know he got he was kind of known for the twilight thing but then like good times and yeah. Uh, the Lighthouse came out, and people were suddenly like, oh shit, Like this dude has chops. Like He can make bangers. Did I tell you my Lighthouse experience of watching that? I think, yeah, you told us about it in the group chat, but like, feel, yeah, feel free to relate it again. Cause okay, it's so if you haven't seen The Lighthouse, it's a psychological slow burn. It's about two men that are stuck in a lighthouse, I believe somewhere in like the far northeast America. It's almost uh, a chamber drama. Like It almost it, it's all almost takes a chamber place drama. indoors. Yeah, indoors or like directly on this very small kind of island or patch yeah, of land that has the lighthouse. Rocks. Yeah, it's it's Robert Pattinson who's incredible and can play these kind of dramatic roles really well. And then kind of the honestly one of the best actors of our generation of playing like truly insane characters, which is William Defoe or as I call him William De Goat. It's Willem. 
sir. Will, is it, okay, Willem. Sorry, Willem. <laughs> it's and, a super uh, pretentious name. Whoever names their kid you, that, you, you're like. But you're okay. right. It is William, <laughs> and I always forget that. Um, I was watching it as I went to sleep, and I mean, this movie gets insane. It's super hyper. I don't even know how to word it. Like you, you are, in, you are. While they are going down a spiral into insanity, you are going right with them. Like the perspective of yeah. the movie follows that exact same path to like, am I? Is what I'm seeing real, or am I too? like following them down the rabbit hole into unstable behavior. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll be in an argument and it's it's all black and white. It's very Hitchcockian like there there will be all of a sudden be like they'll be in an argument and then it will go quiet and then it will like have a sudden switch to like a seagull eating a, another dead seagull with like really high pitched like dun 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 music and then it will like go to the yeah. next thing and I'm falling in and out of sleep as this is happening. So I'm waking up like every five minutes to William Defoe acting batshit crazy or a really weird kind of hallucinogenic scene like that. Yeah. And I literally wake up and watch like the last five minutes of the movie. So I probably watched a cumulative 30 minutes of the film and it was all sparsed out. I felt like I was going insane, not getting yeah. good sleep, seeing all these different weird elements and how I didn't end up with nightmares for weeks. I have no idea, but I got the gist of what happens in the film it was definitely the one of the strangest movie experiences I've ever seen by far. It's, it's a great movie. It's not for everyone. Uh, I will say this. I think everyone saw Uncut Gems, and while it's kind of... Uncut I've, Gems. Uncut Gems? I think everyone, almost everyone saw that movie, and while it was widely acclaimed by both critics and audiences, I do think a lot of people found it very uncomfortable to watch, because it's just like, the entire movie is just about like anxiety, effectively. Like You're just like along for a ride with this guy whose life is being ruined by his own terrible behavior. If you enjoyed that movie and you would watch something else like that, I highly recommend you go watch Good Times with Robert Pattinson, which is a very similar movie around like kind of a petty criminal whose brother who is special needs, they try to rob a bank together and they uh, open the bag and they get hit with the paint. And so one of them gets arrested. And so he's trying to get his brother out of jail and it just follows him on this just, like, incredibly manic attempt at getting money. It is just, like, one horrible decision after another, all leading to disaster every single time. And he just plays the most, like, grimy scumbag in the history of time. Just, like, going to his girlfriend and being like, yo, can't your mom just, like, give me ten grand? Like, that kind of guy. And you're just like, fuck, you so horrible. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but Pattinson's incredible in it. He has a crazy range. Yeah, oh, it, it's truly incredible. And then even when it was announced that he was going to play Bruce Wayne, like I had no idea what that was going to be like, but I was just like, because I know how good he is, I have total trust in his ability to pull this off. And it is a totally different take on both Bruce Wayne and Batman than I think we've ever seen. And I think it's better for it. Like I yeah. love the direction they took it in. Before we go off on that. Yeah. Yeah. One, one tangent I was going to make is, is about Pattinson and his acting is his career is a perfect example of you can only act as good as your writing is because yeah. dude, I was thinking the other day about twilight and how shitty the writing is. And I mean, show me one actor that can do the scene where like, you know, when Bella walks in the, the high school for the first time and sees Edward and Edward kind of is doing that weird thing where he's like supposed to act like he, is disgusted by her scent or likes her scent and does that thing where he like turns away and is like talking to her, but it's like not talking to her and is like covering his nose. 
such an awkward acting action to, to, to oh, perform yeah. and kind of taking that idea and then looking at what's been done over not only like this batman and then the last batman and then the batmans before that and how it's easy to be like oh christian bale did the best job as batman or robert pattinson did the best job as batman george clooney clearly did not do the best job as batman but you like look at the overall films and the the style and the tone they're trying to set and then you really have to you have to be able to pick apart and say no did they do what you asked of them right yeah like because Christian Bale got a lot of credit for his role as Bruce Wayne in Batman, but I don't think Christian Bale makes those films, right? I like, think I think Christian Bale just looks like what we think Bruce Wayne would look like. Like he just looks right. like uh, he's played other, you know, American Psycho type, you know, CEO executive slick back hair. He looks good doing that. He can deliver lines well as far as just like being a prick, which is his Bruce Wayne is a prick, and yeah. Batman at least the Batman that is often portrayed is almost a meme. Like he doesn't turn his head. He's just, you know, he's just like, let's go. Like that's a very, you don't have to do right, that. The Lego much. Batman. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, you know, Keanu Reeves did a great job as Neo in the matrix. Like, well, did he like, what, what does yeah. that entail? You know what I mean? Like being like almost monotone in your, <laughs> in your acting. Yeah. I think Pattinson is interesting because he showed that he can play like these kind of grungy street characters. And then, you know, I think it was, it's kind of a movie that gets forgotten a little bit because it is so very confusing, but he was, I thought he was great in Tenet, uh, as kind of a, he was suave, like cooler guy. Like he was a little bit more like slick in that movie than in other roles he's played, which I really enjoyed. And I really thought that was kind of the energy he was going to carry to Bruce Wayne. When I heard it, when I saw Tenet, I was like, okay, this is going to kind of be the, the young playboy, Bruce Wayne we're going to see. And instead, you know, having looked up after you mentioned it, I went and looked up interviews about him kind of dissecting the role. And I I love the way the direction he took it, which is just like the idea that like someone that's putting on a mask and beating street criminals to a pulp, the idea that that person would be this like, like totally put together well-adjusted adult is a fantasy that like, you know, is is fun for comic books, but like in reality, like you you would almost assuredly be a sociopath and so he wanted this like broken and still in development bruce wayne like in this movie he's only been batman for two years and he's kind of just known as this reclusive billionaire like kind of trust fund kid still young still figuring it out he's batman and he's good but he's not great yet i'm interested to see like as they flesh this out because i know they've already scheduled two sequels and a spin-off tv show for this batman I'm wondering how they're going to handle not the origin story of Batman because we have just seen that a thousand times. And I was so grateful that we did not have to see another slow motion murder of Martha Wayne with like the pearl necklace falling in the light. You know, we've just seen that so many times. Did you think you were going to have to see that after the first scene? Remember when he's looking through the window, do you see the kid playing with the dad and yep. stuff? Did you think oh, that yeah. was Bruce? I, I was I was 100% ready for it. Um, <laughs> but I, I never need to see Thomas and Martha Wayne killed again. I never need to see Uncle Ben killed again for Spider-Man. Like, I've seen that so much, I get it. But what I am Maybe in like 30 about, years, yeah. Yeah, what I am interested in is different franchises of Batman have handled the development of Batman himself differently. So in Nolan's Batman, uh, you know, he traveled the world to learn like to be a ninja and he uh, ends up with Ra's al Ghul and he becomes like a badass ninja and then turns on the order comic book Batman did a lot of that but he also uh, went to France and met this guy named Ducard who is the world's greatest detective at the time he's like a Sherlock Holmes type figure 
and Ducard and him spent years together teaching Bruce how to like dissect like a, a crime body language you know look at someone and be like there's this kind of dirt under your nails so you were here you're wearing this kind of coat so you've been here like all those kind of cool right. Sherlock Holmesian Batman things this Batman does not seem like he would have done those things to me this seems like a Batman that like probably sat alone in the manor with his own hatred and angst for like 10 years found the outlet of being the Batman and since then has just kind of learned by doing he doesn't seem like someone that like went to you know the Himalayan mountains to learn how to be a ninja that doesn't seem like the vibe I get from the Pattinson Batman so I'm interested yeah. to see how they handle that if if they ever address it like they might just be like nah he's Batman which is fine if there's a backstory to be had something that he did to prepare for Batman before this movie takes place, it is probably that he went and met with Ducard and not gone to the Himalayas and became a samurai. Because in this film, he is kind of like a good street brawler that has, like, body armor, and then he has, like, two gadgets. Bro, the best right? body armor. Like, the greatest body armor ever developed by yeah, human Yeah, and, and, and that was probably my only complaint about the film, is he's taking, like, direct body shots with a shotgun and just, like staying down for five minutes or like getting blood like a bomb going off right in front of him and he's just like oh i'm gonna wake up in a minute like yeah and we, and we can go into that later lot. if you want but body armor okay two things one body armor can absolutely save you from being killed by a bullet but you're still getting it's like taking a hit from a baseball bat you know what i mean like you still right you still take the hit. It just doesn't penetrate you. That's all it's keeping from happening. It's like a bullet doesn't go inside your body and bounce around. Two, all body armor we currently know of is a system. Like, it is a weave of fibers. And if you take a single bullet in the armor, it is compromised. The rest of the system is compromised. So, like, right. you can't take ten bullets all over the place and have that tenth bullet is going to get right through. Because you have to have it all taught everywhere in order to... Right. Now... Some body armor has a slot in the front and in the back, and you could put, like, a, a, a piece of metal, like steel, that can stop uh, ballistic right. rounds, probably up to, like, smaller rifle rounds and, like, most pistol rounds, as long as they hit the plate. But Batman seemed to be more of, like, a Kevlar situation, because he could get hit anywhere, and it was just like, ha-ha. So, yeah, that was interesting. And then the you and I talked about the bomb situation. That would almost, That would 100% kill you. He has his whole face up against that bomb. He's like, his nose is touching a, a hand grenade, effectively. And then yeah. later, here's what made it worse, was that later we see Alfred open up that package that has a bomb in it, and he throws that bomb across the room, and it goes off. And it's on the other and, side of a desk when it blows. Yeah, and he's still in, like, the ICU, like, probably not going to make it level hurt, and Batman is, like, kind of dazed by having one go yeah. off in his face, which, like... Yeah, so that was weird. That took me out of it a little bit, but for the most part... Honestly, and and I'm going to put that on Matt Reeves. I mean, you really just have to make like three changes in this movie as far as the directing and the the, uh, choreography with the action scenes to completely get rid of this complaint. One is when the bomb goes off... Uh, he ducks and rolls away. That's it. He he sees that there's like three seconds left and he starts running away and he gets about 15 feet away and then the bomb goes off and launches him through the air. That, I would be like, sure. you probably still might not survive that. Because that, that is, explosions are very lethal, right? And then I thought there was particularly like two or three scenes with the shooting where he's getting direct hits from bullets. The first scene where he fights the baddies in the uh, train station and one like hits him in the shoulder and he kind of like rolls with it. That one I could live with because, that, again, that's like 
it was kind of like a, he got nicked and he kind of like stumbled back and that makes a lot more sense. But like when he's getting shot in the chest with a shotgun or I think the worst scene was when he's going to go fight Falcone and goes and like and there's that dark hallway and guys have like automatic rifles and are just like right in his chest and he's just like walking towards them without stopping yeah. like that was probably more unrealistic than the bomb scene at least i thought well and, and like all you got to do is like okay you show him get shot in the shoulder when he later when he's back at the bat cave show him take off the, the suit and just have him have a huge fucking welt there you know what i mean like show that that there is because as of now we see him shirtless and he's untouched so there's he's got like this small armor scratches yeah this this armor Very is not only scratches. keeping him from like it, it's even the kinetic force of the bullet is not being transferred through this armor like he is effectively yeah. Superman with it on which makes it very strange like that I don't know that's not how real Batman operates like not real not I shouldn't say real Batman but like comic book <laughs> Batman is not just like walking Terminator style into you know he's like blowing the lights out they're shooting he's like dodging all of them by doing cool shit he's using the cape to like make them shoot in the wrong places. Like Batman isn't like a pure brute force type dude. That's not his MO. I think that was a, an attempt at ironically some realism because it's like, why doesn't anyone just shoot Batman? You know what I mean? Like they wanted to show that like, okay, we're going to account for that via his high tech armor. I did love the combat. Generally speaking, I thought it was way I like Nolan's was cool but it was very stylized and I loved that this one seemed way more brutal this was more of a Batman that was just like a really well practiced like judo and Krav Maga style guy rather than you know flipping guys around and jumping over their heads and all that kind of stuff yeah it's a lot of elbows grabbing dudes faces and like punching them into guardrails that's that's cool I like that yeah, brute force strikes and a few takedowns, and then a few just, like, kicks. Like, if he felt he could kick somebody off of, like, stairs or something, he would do that. It, like you said, Krav Maga is a great comparison. It's, like, it was very practical fighting with a yeah, guy fu- who... very functional combat, for sure. And in real life, Robert Pattinson is, like, 6'1", 190 pounds, and so he's not small, but you kind of try to take some liberty and imagine that this Batman is probably... 6'2", six, 6'3", two, six, 230, and is, like, can screw somebody up with just with just a few elbows and, like, he, you know, like I said, kicking somebody or just kind of tossing them. And it, you're right, it wasn't very stylized. Um, one other thing that I liked about the fights in this movie compared to, like, the Nolan Batmans was I actually rewatched Batman Begins in the Dark Knight before we did this pod. And one thing I noticed that Nolan did with those was you would have scenes where Batman would do the ducking and dodging really well and, like, use the darkness to, like, create one-on-one situations with bad guys and then take them out and then move, you know, kind of appear in the other part of the room and things like that, which I love. That's kind of what I envisioned Batman as being. But then he would also have parts where he would have these brawls with people um, in a relatively open, well-lit space, and there'd be three plus baddies and other baddies would kind of just be watching on the sideline. I think there's two scenes in particular. I think of this Um, one was Batman's kind of first successful outing in those films when he fights, um, when he goes and breaks up Carmine Falcone's like um, drug bust at the docks. And then the second one I can think of is when he fights Scarecrow in Scarecrow's kind of like drug making layer at the basement of Arkham. That one in particular Nolan's using a lot of close-ups and making it look like it's close combat, but we've already seen the scene and we can see that it's like a massive warehouse. And yeah, the, the establishing shot kind of betrays what is going exactly. on Exactly. Nolan does a lot of that where it's like hyper 
close up camera is kind of moving as he's like elbowing one person but we, it's already been established that there's like five or six guys standing around where are they um and i think this one does a better job of being intentional with where it's taking its shots like not the director but i think the cinematographer greg frazier did um i think he worked on rogue one so he's the same guy gotcha. who made the really badass darth vader sequence yeah. where it's that dark hallway and vader's the red lightsaber comes the up scene from new hope yeah Right. He does that, and he he kind of goes back to that with some of his shots, where, like, if it's a long, dark hallway, you're going to get, like, one shot looking straight down that hallway, and you're going to know immediately what is to the right and what is to the left of Batman, who's coming towards him, things like that. They did that in the club. They did that in the scene where he goes towards Falcone to beat him up. Can and, we talk about one, just one other beef I have with this movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Let me let me close out this point. And yeah, yeah, yeah. To it. I was going to say one more thing that I thought was really appropriate was the one or two scenes where there was wide shots of action, where there's like multiple baddies coming from multiple fronts. Like the scene, for example, when he goes to the the ice box or whatever it was, the lo- the the lounge, forty four below he, club, yeah. And he starts fighting with the bouncers, and there's like there's bouncers kind of above him up the stairs. There's bouncers kind of off to the railing with shotguns, and there's like bouncers running up the stairs. And in that fight scene. It does a good job of establishing the far shots and staying there to where it did the exact opposite thing as the Nolan film. In the Nolan films, like, whoever's right in front of him, that's the only one engaging Batman. But in this movie, if Batman didn't let bad guys go unchecked, they're going to start shooting at him from a distance. Or, like, they're going to run at him from behind and, like, grab a hold of him and things. And so I thought that added to the realism of these action scenes as well. Okay, so one of the inciting incidents in this movie is that the Riddler is revealed to have these compromising photos of the murdered mayor, right? At the end, when they bring Carmine Falcone out of the 44 Below, the same club where they got those shots of the mayor, the Riddler shoots the mayor. I know, I know where you're going. For, I know you're going for this. Yeah. Yeah. The pictures that they're all looking at are taken from the apartment where the Riddler has been the whole time. And yeah. no one went up there and checked that apartment. He was there the whole time. He took these pictures from that apartment. It's literally like 20 feet away from where they're, they're all standing at that point. He then shoots Falcone from that apartment, and then they go up there and look. I feel like Batman would have at least gone and be like, oh, where was he taking these pictures from? Yep. That seemed really strange to me. I agree 100%. I didn't see when I was watching this movie and there was those shots taken looking down on the club. Yeah. By then, there's already been wide shots of that entire landscape so you've seen that there is a like hotel apartments across the street from from the club so there were probably audience members who like the moment they saw those pictures thought to themselves where were those taken were they taken across the street where i saw that eight-story building right yep i was not one of those people i i also thought about that but i thought about it after the movie ended where the reveal happened that the riddler was living there right um so with that being said if you know one percent of the population or half a percent of the population immediately thought i wonder if they should go check that building it does beg the question should batman have thought of that and my takeaway is maybe but batman missed a few things in this movie and i think that in some of it was very intentional matt reeves wanted this to be a batman in that's still cooking in the oven sure and he lost you know yeah uh, and, and that, I, I think that if he would have, for lack of a better term, like if he would have gone and checked that apartment, he would have caught the Riddler and therefore he wouldn't have lost. 
So I don't think this is one of those things where Matt Reeves is hearing on the internet, like, why didn't Batman go to the apartment? And he thought, oh, shit, that's a sure. plot hole. I think, I think it was intentional. It was done by Batman, but I think it was written to be done by Batman. I just almost thought that was so obvious. I almost wish they would have just been like, let's go up there, and they go up there, and there's a camera that is live streaming to a different location, and so they can't tell where the Riddler really is. Like, because that just seems so absurd to me. That like, <laughs> like, damn, someone was spying on the mayor from where? We'll figure it out. <laughs> like, um, maybe they thought that they were standing on the kind of overpass that's above the yeah club. that could be I, it too. I, I don't know i'm making excuses for them but i get what you're saying but i and i am ultimately nitpicking here like this is an awesome movie it is way more i you described it really well that it was like batman meets seven which i think is a good description of it i loved their take on the riddler this is definitely a modern riddler like a creature incel of riddler. the internet like incel 4chan riddler who's like an extremist who has been baked in this community of other people like him and has come up with this like crazy plan that has been allowed to fester in one of the dark corners of the internet. The the dude they got to play him, I really liked. I thought that he did a great job. I love the out. Yeah, I love the goat. scene in uh in Arkham where Batman goes and confronts the Riddler. And the Riddler kind of has his little breakdown where he's like, he thought that, no, you know, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. This is not how like, this was supposed to go. That was a very surreal moment for me watching the scene because you're so used to villains in movies being this like kind of put together, like they're one step ahead of things or they're in control of their emotions. But when Paul Dano does that, when the Riddler does that, you kind of realize like, oh, this is a crazy person. Like yeah. this is a real crazy person and... I think we were talking about the chat. I, I didn't just call him an incel. I called him like a high functioning autistic. Yeah, definitely. Incel, like where he's incredibly intelligent and has these insights and the way he views the world leads him to make some incredibly calculated and kind of amazing logical decisions, um, obviously for bad purposes. But then you also have this version of him that like has no kind of social awareness and things. And that, that like yelling no over and over again was, I've kind of met, folks that are on the spectrum like throughout my life and like that reminds me of some of the breakdowns that i've personally like witnessed um so i thought it was like an incredibly realistic performance and it was Agreed. an interesting uh an interesting twist like i said on on what we normally expect from from high caliber villains agree and it. i loved i loved his interaction at the end with uh we can go ahead and say it it's a spoiler but with two-face um i thought, thought that, that was two-face oh it's definitely two-face it's not. It's the Joker. It's definitely not. His, his riddle is, what, what is worth less the more of them you have? And Dano thinks it's friends. It's faces. <laughs> no, but he also said, he also makes it th something about, like, clowns and, like, jokes. Remember that? Dude, I am, I am also, all but positive this is Two-Face. Okay, let's Hold figure on. this out. Because I think it's the guy who, um, the guy who played Druid in Eternals has been casted to play the Joker. And that was who that was. Because I thought the same thing for a second. I thought I thought it might have been the the, the Two Face as well, but I think it was. Remember, he does like the maniacal laugh and stuff. Man, I really hope it's not the Joker because I feel like we shouldn't do the Joker again. Yeah, I'm looking at an article that says the Batman director confirms that yes, that's the Joker. Okay, let me read it. Let me make sure. Actually, no, I'm reading this article and this is the quote they used from Reeves. 
Who do you think he is? The unseen prisoner, Reese began. He's who you think he is. That's who he is. So there you have it. Official confirmation that it is indeed the Joker. <laughs> like, okay? <laughs> okay. Like, uh, is it? Because <laughs> like, I thought uh, the riddle, like the riddle seemed, I immediately was like, faces. If you have two faces, they're worth less than. I thought, so I thought that the the fact that they've said that this actor, um, Barry Keoghan, Barry Kogan, that's the guy who did it. That's the guy who was in the scene. And he's playing and, the Joker. And he's supposed to be playing the Joker. I get what you're saying. At first, I thought it might be Two-Face. Um, I would love to see a really badass rendition of Two-Face. I, I thought that what they did with... I wasn't a huge fan of what they did on The Dark Knight with Harvey, Harvey Dent. Dent. That didn't do it for me. I don't know why. Um, I, I but... like the, uh, the canon version of how Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face, where he gets... They they homage to it in the Dark Knight, like the guy pulling out the gun in court, like that's an homage to how he actually became Two Face in the comics, which is that he was prosecuting a mafia guy on the stand, and the guy pulled out a flask of acid and threw it on his face in the middle of the courtroom, and that's how he becomes Two Face. Oh, so it's kind of an homage to like you know you think comic fans when he reached for that pistol, everyone was like, here comes the acid, and then he pulls out the gun, and then Harvey Dent does the whole you know take the pistol from him and like, oh, I suggest you buy American. If you want to kill a public official, you need to buy American. Yeah. And I thought Aaron Eckhart did a fine job. I I just didn't think they did a good enough job like turning him into Two-Face. It didn't make a ton of sense to me as to why he... Like, because he's like, I get it. Like, the Joker wants to break Gotham's White Knight and show that like this guy that represents hope for the city from a criminal justice standpoint can be turned... And that's a reoccurring theme with the Joker throughout the comics is that, like, everyone is one bad day away from breaking and becoming a, a crazy person. But I feel like they needed to do more with that. So, yeah, I, I would love a really good Two-Face, especially because Two-Face is a super complicated villain because he's one of Bruce Wayne's best friends. Like, he's he is a yeah. very, in the comics, him and Bruce Wayne are, like, boys. And he's, you know, they're like, hey, we're going to clean up Gotham together. I'm going to provide all the money to, like, rebuild the city, and you're our, you know, star-studded new DA. And then he turns into Two-Face, and so he be, he put, he dons his mask, and Batman dons his mask, and they, like, you know, begin their, their fight, which is cool. But, yeah, I, that's almost disappointing to me if it is the Joker. We're just never going to outdo the Heath Ledger thing. Because he died. Yeah. Like, that's just never going to be outdone. Yep. The only way to even, like, attempt it is to take the Joker character in a totally different direction, which can be done very terribly, as we saw with Suicide Squad. Um, I, I appreciated the effort. I'm, like, the only person who thinks that. I I like that they, Garrett Leto is like, I'm going to try something completely different. And I, pro- he, props he, for bravery, for sure. It is just so fucking cringy. It is the just distilled cringe in an IV injected directly into my eyeballs it is so not the joker like as a character like the joker is not just some criminal the joker is a insanely obsessed villain he is obsessed with batman like his his entire world revolves around batman he wants to kill everyone else that isn't batman so that batman will be forced to only deal with him and he refuses to ever kill Batman for that reason. Like, um, and there's even like comics where like, like I just finished reading a comic the other day, uh, called their dark designs, which is really awesome. And there's this legendary crook called the designer who spends like a decade designing the perfect crimes. And he comes to Gotham and he gathers 
Catwoman, Penguin, Riddler, and Joker, and he's going to help them design the perfect crime to to destroy Batman. And the way he designs these crimes is he goes into a room with each criminal for like three, four hours and like help like brainstorm sessions with them about like what is your your abilities taken to their ultimate form. Like how can we help you evolve into a form that Batman can't can't counter? And he spent like three hours in the room with the Joker. And he realized that, like, it's like staring into the abyss. Like, there is no ultimate Joker. Joker's, like, the ultimate version of the Joker is, like, the devil. He's, like, the apocalypse. He is a bottomless well of darkness. And so, to, like, see this fucking Joker who, like, drives a purple Lambo and, like, hangs out in nightclubs drinking tequila and, like, just just fucking boohoo, dude. Just the worst. Ugh, I hated it. I hated it. And... Again, I agree with you that, like, there was no other option to but to try something radically different after Heath Ledger. Like, it was so fucking good. It's so iconic. He died. You ha- you cannot do anything but try something completely different. But it was a complete disaster. And I'm, I really wish they would just stay away from the Joker for a while for that reason. Like, we need another decade before I think we're going to need another Joker. Because it's such an... I now iconic people that don't read the comics Heath Ledger is the Joker people that do read the comics that Joker is so hard to do in film that I think yeah you're kind of stuck so I was I was kind of hoping they were doing Two-Face that makes me sad two counterpoints um I don't disagree that the the version that we saw on film of the Joker that that Jared Leto did was ultimately disappointing I have heard from multiple people like interviews YouTube channels things like that were like They've pointed out that the performance that Jared Leto did was greatly hamstrung by a lot of the post edits that were done. Oh yeah, he, for he, the film he was on, like, sca- he was on the screen sh- for like a minute or something, and he they cut yeah, like something crazy fifteen minutes of his performance. Yeah. yeah, so that that doesn't help. Probably doesn't completely change your opinion, especially like the the direct complaint you had about like you've completely destroyed what the Joker is supposed to be. You could make the same argument a little bit about the Riddler. I heard a lot of people complaining that like, they just didn't like that. It was a complete dissolving of what the Riddler was in the comics. Like this kind of like incel version of the Riddler and like both from like how he acts, but also like how he dresses and like, what are his motivations? And yeah. Stuff. I could see that complaint. I, for me, I think that like they tried to do the super campy he, he, he Riddler with Jim Carrey. And I thought it was way over the top. Like I, I detest that version of even the as a kid. I was like, this is this is really weird. Literally, Jim Carrey was such a powerhouse at the time. Like it's hard for us to even understand now because he was a huge star. But like he was such a huge star at the time that he was just allowed to do whatever he wanted. He was effectively not directed at the time, so they would just let him like wife tell one joke when five will do. He's in the fucking Batcave in that movie, like, hitting shit with his cane, being like, batters up, doing all these, you know, Ace Ventura voices. He kicks a guy out a window over a waterfall and then sticks his head out the window and goes, surf's up, big kahuna. Like, it's so over the top, dude. It's absurd. And the, and the Riddler ultimately... It's what happens like, when you only are surrounded by yes men. Exactly. And, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, for me, like, the Riddler is this, like... Crypt, effectively like this cryptographic nerd, right? Like a, a so, somewhere on the spectrum, obsessed with math, obsessed with like being the smartest person. That's his whole thing. Is he wants to be proven smarter than the Batman is his ultimate goal. Right. And this Riddler that we saw, and, and here's the other thing is that when they're 
things that work in comic books don't work in movies. Like if you if you did the Joker or any of even the Batman, if you did exactly what's in the comics in the movies, it would be lame. It would be super lame. Like if Batman goes into the multiverse and comes out with Metal X and turns it into a special bat suit that can see through time, that's shitty in a movie. It's fine on a comic book page. That's just the nature of the the medium. Like, we accept things in comic books because the art's cool and shit that, like, we don't accept in film. And so to translate these characters to the movies is difficult, and I thought Heath Ledger did a great job capturing, like, the, the unbridled chaos of the Joker in a form that made sense in a some kind of actual yeah. world. The Riddler, while I don't think that they necessarily made the entire guidestone of his character around, like, I want to be smarter than Batman, I felt like he he captured enough of that, like, the only place in this world that I have found meaning is in puzzles, is in solving, is in finding the answers to things. Like, that is something that I think is translatable into this world they've created. And they gave him a backstory that I felt like made this movie resonate with a larger social force in society, right? Like, people that feel downtrodden, stomped under the boot of the system, like, left out to with the trash. And that Riddler is not only, I think, passable in a movie, but also feels like it has some weight to it. Like, you can wrap your head around why this Riddler exists, and you may not agree with his methods, and you may think that he's evil... But ultimately, you're looking for... Because Joker's really the only Batman villain where you're supposed to be like, oh my god, this makes no sense. It, it's, it makes right. no sense why something would be this evil. All the other villains are based around like, okay, Harvey Dent. Like, he was this great thing. Now he's this awful thing. We understand Cat why Woman he's that way. Catwoman is stealing. She likes to steal things. Like, yeah, yeah ultimately, Catwoman's kind of tight. Like, she just steals, like, paintings and shit. Like, that, I don't even think that should be on Batman's radar, given that Joker's trying to, like, put poison in the water supply, but like, you know, it is what it is. So yeah, ultimately I think that, um, the Riddler adaptation was good for me. I guess it'll just come down to how they do the Joker. Um, you know, there's an interesting comic book that I just read called the three Jokers. And in the three Jokers, there are, uh, like the name would imply, there are three different Jokers that we see over the course of the comic book. And they are, they align with different versions of the Joker that we've seen over the years. So it's like the criminal, the comedian, and the clown. And it's kind of like the original Joker, who was kind of like a crime boss that wore clown makeup. The comedian, which is kind of the, almost the Joaquin Phoenix, like the failed comedian Joker who's turned to crime and takes pleasure in the pain of others. And then the clown, which is this like total chaos force of evil. And I think you're going to have to choose one of these versions of the Joker to try and and utilize. Because of the Joaquin Phoenix one, I'm now thinking that this Joker we're going to see is probably going to be more towards that comedian one. We'll just have to see. So, But yeah, that's interesting. I, I really did think it was Two-Face, but uh, yeah, it looks like it is the Joker. So we'll just have to find out which direction they go with. Yeah, that sounds that sounds interesting. Um, you know, talk about like realism. I think you said this kind of at the beginning of the podcast about how Robert Pattinson's been very open about the direction that he wanted to take Batman in, which is, he thought it's a very sociopathic behavior to be able to spend six hours a night beating the crap out of criminals and then being able to, like, put on a suit and walk around a party all dapper and, like, talking people up. After I heard that interview, I started realizing, like, man, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman was pretty good as well. Like, 
in terms of like not being able to take off the mask like michael keaton's version of bruce wayne was he was constantly thinking about the batman right and whereas i felt like with nolan's films there's a lot of really campy moments with bruce wayne like as a high schooler, I think the first Batman came out when I was in like ninth grade, like early high school. Oh yeah, everyone and thinks letting the models swim in the fountain and being yes. like, "I'm buying the hotel." That's not that dude. You would just be known as a huge piece of shit. I I remember thinking that was like one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. But now I'm like, yeah, you can't just hand a waiter a check and be it's, like, "Well, I just bought the hotel." Yeah. <laughs> At the time, I was like, "That's so cool." But now I'm like, dude, not only is that douchey, but it's also not how life works and you think a billionaire would know that but there's there's so many things that, like once you dig into that like and that's why like i think things like watchmen and invincible and the boys are so fascinating because they do go into like okay how would these things function in our real world like there's a real discussion to be had and i don't want to have it in every batman movie but outside of the batman movies there's a real discussion to be had about dude is it okay that batman you know goes to hong kong and yanks this dude who's a foreign national <laughs> yeah. out like that's that's probably not cool what if china gets a batman and he starts yanking dudes out of you know dallas and taking them to china to be tortured like we don't want that so like you know yeah. there's a whole bunch of like kind of those logistical questions that come into play dude, but that yeah plane, when you're that 12 plane that it seems grabs cool. him and flies flies like a hundred feet over the hong kong skyline it's like a huge like pretty slowly carrier. Like a like a pretty yeah. slow plane that would like be obliterated by Chinese yeah. air force immediately. That thing yeah, would it's... get shot down. Yeah, like that, that was what I was say. That, that thing would get shot down in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, there's there is some campiness to it, and like in this film, there is. I was talking to my wife about this last night. Like, there is a difference between comic booky elements and cheese, right? Yeah, there's. For sure. I'll give you a good example. Is when we're watching one of the scenes where Batman and Selina Kyle are talking on a rooftop and i use selena kyle because she's never established as catwoman she's just established as selena kyle who is a cat burglar who likes cats right and where's so and where's was, like a cat face mask ish thing ish yeah sort of um and you know batman basically says like be careful or like don't go to this dangerous situation and she kind of looks at him and is like i'll be fine i've got nine lives and then jumps off the building and yeah. i thought that that was Maybe I'm just being a prisoner of the moment, but I kind of thought that was very comic booky, where it's a relatively simple, Definitely. like simple situation, and she just kind of delivers the cheese line and leaves. Whereas I felt like some of the Nolan stuff wasn't really comic booky; it was just like cheese, and you're like, really, like that wouldn't play out like it. Like you, we were talking last night in the chat about the scene, like all of the stuff that the Joker does in the hospital, <laughs> like revealing who he is what? under the mask, and then all of a sudden Harvey Dent reacts as if he doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. Well, or like the the other thing about that is that like okay, if you're going to establish those kind of things in your movies, you have to be consistent. So, for instance, for the entirety of the Dark Knight, there is no federal government. the 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 Joker's literally like blowing up hospitals like Oklahoma City style, and there is zero federal government intervention of any kind, including when they're like the Joker has marked the DA for death, like he's going to kill a public official. They hand the DA and Batman's girlfriend over to the very clearly corrupt local police department who the Joker has clearly turned, and that's what happens. However, in the second movie, or in the third movie, it feels like Nolan heard people complain about that, and so he creates a plot device by which to make sure that the military doesn't come in and counteract Bane. He's like, we got a a nuke. Yeah, you can't, if you cross into this city, we'll blow the nuke up. 
So by having that scene in the third movie where the military does exist, it makes the second movie that much more questionable because you're like, okay, clearly there is a military and they are willing to act under certain right. conditions. What was the go- what was the mayor of Gotham saying to the governor of the state of whatever about he's like, hey, are you you want me to come help with the, the Joker thing? Is he like, nah, I got it. Like, what's the situation there? Are they in different political parties? Was he just yeah. like, eh, dude, he's going to lose the midterms behind this shit. Let Joker blow shit up. Like, it's very strange. Whereas in this movie, it was just like a few, it was a few high profile murders. And like, in real life, like the FBI would probably get involved, but you can't like outside, you can't just like throw military into the situation and be like, for sure. It's all if good. You like, you, the, you, if you murdered the get... mayor, the FBI would definitely be involved. Homeland yeah. Security probably too, but because you didn't make like a corrupt police department such an integral part of making the whole plan work, like the the Riddler didn't need fifty cops in his pocket to make his plan work. That's what made the Joker one so difficult was that his entire plan hinges on half the police force being in his pocket, and they are given a role in everything because there is no one above them. Whereas in this one, like. The FBI, for all we know, the FBI is involved. It, that doesn't really change how the Riddler's plan works out. So I think that that it maintains yeah. the the semblancy of the plan. So I liked it. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about just like individual characters and casting. And I know we've talked a little bit about the Riddler and stuff. Um, I just want to go down the list here. First of all, this is probably my favorite Batman and arguably my second favorite or favorite Bruce Wayne. I, I agree love the symmetry of the portrayals. I love that it is a little bit more um, detective and not like he's not just a brawler. Um, I love what they do with Catwoman. And part of it is because of how the overall story is written. I think she places really well into it. Their decision to make her Falcone's daughter is bold. That's a bold choice. It changes the canon, but I loved it. Not sure how I felt about that, but it is a little bit similar to Chinatown, which is kind of there's some Chinatown call outs in this film. Yeah. Um, I loved John Turturro as Falcone. I thought that was like their yes. best casting choice. I loved when they go to the funeral and Bruce Wayne and Falcone have their little interaction. Like the first time he talks about his dad saving his life. I thought that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. Colin Farrell as the penguin. Fucking killing it, dude. I liked it. Uh, some people didn't like it. I don't really know why they didn't like it. Um, I thought that was I so good. It was a perfect level of... So he was the most comic booky character you know, just being kind of like, take it easy, sweetheart. You yeah. have everything you cracked up to be. Like, it, it very well could be, like, a video game character, like, NPC, something like, I don't know, like, it felt, it felt a little bit surrealist, which I liked. But at the same time, the Penguin is a very surreal character. Agreed. And they didn't take it over the line. He didn't have an umbrella machine gun. He didn't make bird right. noises. He wasn't living with a bunch of actual penguins in a freezer somewhere, like... He owned a nightclub that was kind of ice-themed. It's called it the 44 Below Club. He looks a little penguinish, but, but I not thought over they, the top, yeah. Yeah, they found the ba- they found the bounds of that really well. I thought they struck a great balance. He was a loud character, but he wasn't an unrealistically loud character, and I, yeah. I like that. Um, I liked Commissioner Gordon after going back and Fuck watching yeah, the, la- the the Nolan series. I still think I like uh, Gary Oldman's better. Um, it's tough to beat Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's incredible, yeah. but. Yeah, um, I, I kind of like the fatherly figure, family man version of Gordon. That's like you—you you feel this like inherent. Like I wanted Commissioner Gordon to be safe at all times when I was watching the Batman films, and that kind of created a little bit like of a as an audience, I cared more about Gordon in that one. Whereas this one is more of like 
grungy detective like you don't really know much about him outside of the detective work and he's always just like what do you think batman he kind of plays off of batman better in some ways but i like gordon as a standalone character in the better in the i uh, agree he played a smaller role in this but i liked it i liked that he wasn't he didn't have like unlimited blanket powers in this one so like there was there was some tension between the police department and batman generally and so gordon it was really only Gordon's like reputation as an upstanding cop, like a good cop that kind of defended Batman generally. And that was, I liked that dynamic. Um, I liked that Gordon and him are still getting comfortable. And like when Batman thought he was going like to his death, maybe his, his comment was like, you're a good cop. I thought that was an awesome moment for the two of them and their relationship. I loved when they went to the orphanage and um, again, like a little humor, but not too much. They open the doors and Batman has his flashlight and Gordon's got his Glock and a flashlight and Batman goes, no guns. And he's like, man, that's your thing. Like, (laughs) which I thought was great. It's like just enough. It's something that could really be said, but Gordon is like, he's a real cop. Like he's like, hell no, dude, (laughs) I'm having my gun out. Like that's what we're doing here. So yeah, that was great. One thing that, one thing that I liked about their relationship is in the Batman films, uh, the Nolan films, there's immediate trust. Like after like the fourth interaction between Gordon and Batman, they, they're like, like they've known each other for 15 years. And there's this sort of like, and it takes a few interactions, but once I think Gordon, it's like right, right around the time he captures Batman captures and delivers Falcone to them. Like they are tied at the hip and they trust each other unconditionally. Whereas in this one, you really do get the sense of like, Batman's only been on the job for two years. And, He may may or may not have met Gordon in that first year, right? So they've maybe only known each other for like 12 months, 10 months, 14 months, and they're still kind of trying to get to know each other. Gordon is the only one who really trusts him, but even then they keep each other at arm's length, and you can kind of see that dynamic. I think it's really subtle how they they wrote that. Um, They're not like kissy kissy with each other per se, but that at the same time, they have to rely on each other. So I they a, did a good job another subtle detail around that is that traditionally and in the Dark Knight movies, the bat signal is on the roof of GCPD headquarters. In this movie, it's in some like under construction building somewhere else. So there's like a, a geographic separation between Batman and the police force. And Gordon is the one that like goes over there and like turns it on when he wants to talk to Batman, showing that like Batman and the police are not like working side by side yet. Right. Like the cops are not agreeing to put the bat signal on the roof at this point in their relationship, which I think shows the like this is more about Gordon and Batman have a personal relationship rather than Batman and the cops are like hanging out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Getting a little bit more into, like, the writing component here, I think one of the best characters in this film was, and this is going to sound kind of, like, artsy, but I thought the setting was a great character. Like, going back to the Nolan films, you kind of have an indescript version of, kind of in the first one, it's New York City, feels a little bit more like it's Chicago in the second one, and then maybe it's kind of Pittsburgh in the third film, and the setting doesn't really play a large part to the story, but in this film, the setting is everything, like, down to the first scene you see with Bruce Wayne, where it's Halloween night, it's raining, it's in basically the version of Times Square that they have in this universe, and just, like, the grunge, and you got these low-life criminals, and you have these, and you have, like, the fact that it's always nighttime, and you have the fact that it's always raining, just the grungy nature of everything you see, the graffiti, the trash, all of this stuff, like, narrow alleys, nightclubs, like, the setting is a character in this film. The yeah. setting which is, is important. That's so like a, much more impactful. 
That's an element that of all is. great Batman media is that Gotham itself is a character that like Batman, the damsel that Batman is always trying to save is like Gotham in its innocence and like trying to fight this like eternal, maybe f- futile war against the darkness that is creeping up from the streets of Gotham. Well, and, and I was making the point about, I, I don't necessarily think that the Nolan films do a great job of that. I think they, they do from a dialogue perspective saying that Batman wants to save Gotham and, and a lot of their um, talking about morals and ideology is about like saving the soul of Gotham. But from a set design perspective, from a from an aesthetic perspective, Gotham could be any city in the U.S. Like You, you can tell like some buildings, oh, that looks like Chicago, oh, that looks like New York. Oh, that looks like Pittsburgh, but you don't really get a true sense that Gotham has this like heartbeat. Where in, the, in this film, it's kind of more like a theater production where, like, dude, it is always nighttime. It's always raining. There's like criminals coming to and from the darkness, and like Batman coming to and from the shadows, and like nightclubs, and like scantily clad people or people wearing masks or dressed for Halloween. And it just, it has this feel of like, this is a lost city. Um, yeah. Much like the only Nolan kind of film that I think touches on that with Batman is the, the narrows with that's like right next to Arkham. Yeah. basically like the, the Arkham neighborhood in the first Batman kind of touches on that. It's a little bit too cheesy in my opinion, how they do that. But I thought this was the best depiction of, gotham that we've ever seen in a film by far yeah it's it's not the most stylized i mean obviously like they've tried to do like really crazy gothams in the past with like batman and robin and like stuff like that yeah. but i loved this uh dude i'm freaking out the cowboys just traded amari cooper <laughs> traded him yeah where cowboys send amari cooper and a sixth round pick to the cleveland browns uh oh what the fuck adam Schefter just tweeted we traded amari cooper and a sixth round pick for the Browns' fifth and sixth round pick. So we just basically gave away Amari Cooper <laughs> so we could get rid of the Well, cat. we're going to cut him, so. Yeah, I mean, fuck, though. Man, I thought we were about to get a first round something. pick for it. I was going to be so stoked. Okay, sorry. So, no, yeah, I think we've seen more stylized Gothams before that have tried to, like, create, like, real character with Gotham's architecture. Obviously, uh, when Tim Burton got a hold of of gotham it was like this crazy neo-gothic city with like giant statues holding up globes and highways that were suspended a hundred feet in the air and things like that this i think is an attempt to create a gotham that can be a stand-in for like a new york city or a chicago but has enough character of its own to define it as a, a real city like gotham itself has a character that makes it it's not just like okay this is batman new york you know what i mean because right. gotham is supposed to be a real place and it occupies a place in a world wherein also like metropolis exists central city exists other major metros exist in this world and so gotham needs to have like elements in its like design language and its culture that set it apart um and i thought they did that really well in this movie i thought that gotham seemed to have more of a a feel to it that was unique to gotham than in the nolan movies where it was very clear that it was it was just new york so yeah i liked it we talked about a little bit dude i i love the the noir feel of everything i love dude just can we talk about like the shots for a second i loved the lighting and how like anytime there's like a bit of hope it shows batman like on a building as like the sun is rising anytime it's like a really dark dim situation it shows them like in the underground like 
in a in a nightclub or in in the bat cave i love how anytime a, a character from their pov is looking at something very closely it's like a really close zoom in to like a cuff link or selena kyle like doing the the vault and like out, like it'll zoom straight into like as she's doing the combination or whatever yeah um but anytime Batman's like walking it, like when I said earlier, when he walks into a nightclub, it takes like a wide pan shot showing the entire room, like kind of putting you in perspective of like, oh, I'm overwhelmed right now with my senses, or I'm really focusing on this one thing right now. So um, they did such a good job of that throughout the film. Like when Batman walks into like a scene where there's a bunch of cops that are not really sure of him, it'll show from like directly behind Batman's head. Like the camera will show, so like you can see all the cops turning yeah. towards him. I love the design language choices in this film. I thought the Batmobile was a great choice. Like, oh, so cool. Going going from the Nolan Batman, where it's like this hyper high tech tank with like all this computer the Rumbler, shit. Yeah, yeah. And there's no the there's no there's no Lucius Fox in this version, so we don't have access to like all of Wayne Enterprises R and D department to like make him. So, you know. The Batman in, like, The Dark Knight has, like, all these suits that shoot, like, ninja stars out. Like, he can bend gun barrels and, like, all that is stripped away. Um, and I loved the car, the car reveal in this was so badass oh. where it's, like, it just appears over there in that alley and it just starts, like, revving up and you see the jet engine going and the penguin's like, oh, shit. And then Young yeah. Nutty started playing as he came <laughs> out of the fire. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the car chase scene yeah, was, was so fucking cool. rad. And the the shot, the upside down shot of the penguin, he's in the car and it's from his perspective. And you see the fire and Batman just like walking towards him with the cape blowing. I was as like, OG fuck, that was playing. awesome, dude. Gosh. Yes. Um, that, was, that was, I'm going to make my hyperbole. I, I think that that was the single best shot of any Batman film, period. Like, Yeah, I would have to like go through i mean yeah it's right up there with like the joker with the duffel bag and the clown mask in his hand standing on the corner at the beginning of dark knight the, the individual scenes of this movie were right up there with some of my favorite like i think my favorite scene of the dark knight the whole trilogy was probably where the joker shows up in the back of that restaurant to the mob meeting and does the magic trick with the pencil i think that's like yeah. my favorite scene and and then he he opens up his coat and he's just lined up with grenades and he's like let's not blow things out of proportion and you're just like dude yeah. this guy is nuts like that isn't that i think that was really great i thought this this movie uh had scenes that similarly resonated with me like batman's introduction where he he comes out of the shadows to beat the shit out of the dudes jumping the dude on the train uh, which you pointed out like, rule of three yeah. the you know that's the third time we see a criminal like commit an act and like look into the shadows like worried that yeah. Dark that he's gonna be there and then he appears. Yeah. What did you think about them calling him vengeance all the time? Because some I people have it. taken I, issue with that. I a hundred percent liked it from a realism perspective. Um I mean if if, if Batman was fifteen years into his career or ten years into his career and people still didn't still weren't calling him the same thing, I think that'd be a little bit weird. But the fact that he's been doing this for two years, he probably has had um the number of very public interactions and like criminal breakups that he's has probably pretty limited so yeah he probably spent the first year of his career as like a complete myth or like a complete unknown as batman and then like slowly he's become a bigger deal and it only makes sense that like fringe newspapers were the first to hear about it and they're making up their own names for it while 
some criminals call are calling him one thing like cops are just kind of like oh there's the weirdo in the cape like i think that's extremely realistic as how it would play out if Agreed. a vigilante started and then it would eventually become kind of like america's team like it would be some newspaper would make up a name and it would stick right and that's kind of what why batman like i think by the second film i think everybody's going to be like that's the batman or that's batman but i love and also like he called himself vengeance which is taken yeah. directly from the uh, animated series so yeah i think it makes sense that like he's c- telling criminals he's vengeance and then they're just like taking his word for it and just being like oh he said his name was vengeance <laughs> so i i liked it a lot the only thing the only time that it like seemed weird was when catwoman would be like come on vengeance let's go blah 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 i was like okay that's a weird use of that like that seems too literal to me yeah but but, but again if you think that's if you think that's his name like agreed agreed totally fine totally fine um yeah yeah overall i loved it um i'm very excited to see where they take this i then we didn't talk about the music oh yeah we, we need to talk about the music the score is fucking rad um it's it fits very well with the kind of noir theme of the whole thing. It feels very atmospheric. Lots of like slow, grungy versions of like songs you'd recognize. Like the, I think the the one they keep playing in the trailer stuff is like the Nirvana song. Yeah, um, the smells like it, Teen Spirit. <laughs> I don't even know the name. I'm, now I'm I'm. What is it called? What's the name of the song? It's not Young Nutty, by the way. Something in the way. So, something in the way. I thought it was called that, but I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, it's clearly something in the way, and then it not be that. So, um, the scene that you referenced, where it shows Batman upside down, walk or the penguin is upside down, therefore the camera is upside down, and Batman is walking towards him, where it like plays the sharp key version on the piano of the original Bat theme song, like yeah. slowly. That can was, I can oh, I also I say how much I loved that the penguin drove a Maserati, the official car of all douchebags everywhere. I was like, great choice, just yeah. perfection. The penguin's too rich to drive a Tesla Model S with a custom license plate that says no gas on it, so they needed to take it up a notch, and they went with a Maserati, which is the official car of tasteless douche rich bags everywhere. So amazing, loved it, perfect you know, choice. You know that uh, the those like quadrants that will say like knows what an ft is doesn't invest in ft nfts like yeah yeah i think that the penguin would firmly be in the trench of like doesn't know what f doesn't know what an nft is but invest in nfts oh definitely like <laughs> the penguin is definitely selling like pengcoin at at the 44 below like he, he's, he's like gary v he's collaborating with gary v do you have to have a you have to have <laughs> the penguins nft to get into the 44 below club dude one more thing i i feel like we have to talk about before um we kind of like round up to and get really superlative with this. I think uh, I, I really liked how the Riddler and Batman were so similar. They, they really were like two yeah. sides of the same coin. Like they both were orphans. Like one was poor, one was rich. And that kind of like diverted their life paths into different things. Like the Riddler was kind of a product of like broken promises of the system. The Batman, meanwhile, like was sheltered because of his family's wealth um, in a way. And, and they how- kind of had the same goal. Like, the, the yes, Batman it's... wants to. The Batman wants to fix everything, and so does the Riddler. The Riddler just views the only path to doing that as destroying the current infrastructure. Right. The Batman kind of views it as um, taking out the crime underbelly, whereas the Riddler kind of views it as like tearing out the whole system to prevent there being a crime underbelly, if you will. Yeah, and, and I liked and how the Riddler thinks the real criminals are in the boardroom, which, like, again, like going back to like our discussion before been... of like 
you know, though? yeah, he, he, uh, you know, like he, he's not wrong though. Renewal yeah, is a lie. That, when's that mixtape dropping? Um, yeah, it's as, as, as rap news would say, is this facts? <laughs> like <laughs> explanation fax, point, fax machine emoji mark. <laughs> yeah um the 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 emo <laughs> the emoji con with like the the wide eyes yeah like is this fax though um <laughs> the the other thing i had to point out is like dude there's even like shots no, i'm just imagining that... like a, a a rap news account that lives in gotham <laughs> city that's just like penguin <laughs> says the gotham renewal project is <laughs> full of criminals is that facts though like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh oh god i wish i wish we were we were fortunate enough for that um oh that's amazing but uh yeah the other thing i had to point out was they even put like in the scenes there was a lot of like mirroring of what riddler and batman were doing particularly like the use of like voyeurism like there's yeah. the very beginning there's like it shows the riddler spying on uh the corrupt mayor who he eventually kills and then 15 minutes later, Batman is spying on Selena Kyle, like same, like height above the windows, like across an alley and stuff. So yeah, I think that stories where they fail is when you have a villain and a hero that are nothing alike and don't, and they're not really fighting for the similar goal. Like they're not really going towards the same thing. Then it's like, it, it'll make this story feel a little bit disjointed. Like you'll watch movies or read books sometimes where you'll be like, why, why are these two characters even in the same story or why, why yeah. are they even at odds with each other? But this story does a great job of avoiding that, of showing that these are two people that recognize the same issue and are going about it completely different ways based on, as we've talked about in this podcast, like based on their upbringing, based on their view of the world, which is shaped by their experiences. And so to them, they're both the bat, they're both the good guys. Like they, they yep. think they're doing the right thing. The road to hell paved with good intentions. Yeah, and as we said earlier, dude, the bad guy wins. And I think it was very apt that, like, Batman makes a lot of really cool, like, he does a lot of really great things in this film. He makes a lot of really great discoveries from, like, the detective side, but he ultimately loses. And I think that, you know, we see some pretty heavy-handed shots towards the end of the film where Batman starts to realize that, like, maybe beating bad guys up into a pulp is not the only way to be Batman, because, like, all he's done is create, like, fear in bad guys. But, like, what is that, where has that really gotten him? All it's done is, like, harden their their resolve, and then they go out and become, you know, following the Riddler. He sees, at the end of the film, like, these people need help, right? So he, like, is in the water with these people after the flood, and he lights the um flare and he walks them he leads them to out safety yeah literally leads them you know leads them across this the red sea if you will hey yeah uh bit. whoa spitting uh um, well that's a that's a theme at, that like the some of the greatest batman comics have ever touched on is like the the question is raised like do other cities have supervillains like this or is it only exist in the city that has batman and what is the reasoning right. for that like would there be a joker if there's no batman would there be a riddler if there's no batman or has he himself, by you know, dispensing justice via this costumed extremism, and dispensing justice based on his own you know moral code, not codified laws, has that created the environment that produces supervillains? And that's a question that is raised in some in some of the the work. So I think it's interesting that they touch on it here too, like that there would be no Riddler in this without the Batman. I think that Bruce Wayne is going to realize in this film that like. A lot of the public officials in this film, um, 
tried it when they do interact with Bruce Wayne, they basically are reminding him like, hey, like you can help us, you can help us, and he's just yeah. being a recluse, and he's putting all of his focus and energy and honestly his like mental health into being Batman and beating up criminals. But I think towards the end of the film, he realizes like that attack angle is only getting him into dead ends and like maybe he does need to like focus more on helping others and doing what he can so i think we're, we're going to start to see i think in the next film a bruce wayne that is a tries to be a little bit more like out in the open i think he'll maybe even like do a public speech like i could see that start to form i could also see him starting to develop a little bit more of a heart and being not softer but like being more engaged with the fact that like it's not all about beating up criminals it's about helping others and i think we're gonna see a great character narrative i just saw that pattinson and reeves said that they want to they want to do mr freeze and they want to do the court of owls in their sequels which would be awesome for both of like, yeah what's all the, the, what's the court of owls just... again i've heard some bad i don't it's, really it's know really it tight it's um it's basically this like order of like illuminati style guys that like all the it turns out that like gotham has been being run by this like secret society for like hundreds of years going back to like his the founding families of gotham the waynes the arkhams like all the other uh founding families and even like some of his own family members are in the court of owls and they have like these assassins called talons that are like basically as good as batman and sheesh it plays on this theme that like by the time bruce encounters the court of owls he knows every inch of Gotham, like in his head, like Gotham is his city. He knows every inch of Gotham and he feels like he has a total understanding of Gotham. And then suddenly it's revealed that's turned totally upside down that like the Gotham he knows is a facade and like the true power of Gotham is, uh, has been hidden from him the whole time. And now the the court has like turned against him and they're going to like go after him. It's super badass. Yeah, dude, that makes sense. I mean, there, I, it makes sense now that you say that because I saw a lot of people guessing that the court of Alice is going to be a big part in this film because in the trailer there's scenes where like it shows bruce wayne being like you lied to me alfred um mm-hmm. so i thought that that was oh and by the way this was the best alfred and that's a hot take but because i i dude michael kane is a goat we all know that um it's been well documented on this pod that michael kane is on the, on the goat tier but I think that this version of, like, Alfred Pennywise, like, kind of being, like, being able to decipher codes and, like, kind of helping Batman and not just being, like, an old man butler that's, like, crusty and just, like, says wide stuff, but, like, you could tell, like, he's kind of, he looks physically built, like, he's intelligent. You could tell, like, oh, this guy used to probably be, like, a spy. Like, you could make that assumption. So I thought it was, like, probably the most comic book accurate version of Alfred. I thought, anyways. I don't know what you think. Yeah, Alfred has done so many different ways in the comics. Um, I mean, some some versions of uh, of Alfred are like ridiculously good at everything. Like he's a neurosurgeon and a scientist. And uh, um, in Batman the Animated Series, Alfred was a former uh, SAS agent who had like all this amazing, you know, special forces tactical knowledge that he brought to the table, yeah. which I thought was cool. The Alfred that we saw in uh, the Dark Knight like kind of alluded to like a past in like the like british operations abroad like he had knowledge of like british colonial operations in the far east and things like that which i thought was really interesting um this alfred does seem like uh i loved how much they drew the attention to like alfred as a member of the wayne family that he's like deeply devoted to the idea of keeping the Wayne secrets, both good and bad, and protecting Bruce Wayne as the 
last remaining scion of the Wayne name. Which again, if they go into this like kind of the Court of Owls timeline, um, that'll play a huge role. Um, a big feature of that storyline is that this guy runs for mayor. Uh, his name is Lincoln March, and he reveals himself. He claims to be Thomas uh, Wayne's Ill- illegitimate son. So he like Ooh. claims the Wayne fortune as his own, and they got beef. But he's in the court of owls, so he's like, you know, he's evil. So um, yeah, like to, like even the own the Wayne household is like got like its own secrets that even Bruce is not aware of because he was not, he was not old enough to have been like brought into the power structure before his parents were killed. So super interesting stuff. I loved how they did Alfred. I think Michael Caine is probably the more iconic Alfred right now for me still, just cause like when I think of Alfred, I think of Michael Caine, but I loved the performance. Uh, I want to see more of him. We didn't get to see a ton of Alfred in this movie because he's, he got blown up pretty quick and then we just see him in the hospital bed from there on out. But yeah. like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to see what he does in the next movie. It should be really cool. Yeah. Give me your, your overall thoughts. Yeah, I think, one, this is the Batman film that most squarely takes aim at real social issues in the real world. Um, this is a Batman who's Gotham City and whose world is dealing with the same issues as ours. And so this is a Batman for our own time, which I think is important. I know some people don't agree with this, but I do think generally that all art is inherently political based on how you interpret it. And the Batman that we see in this is not immune to the issues surrounding the socioeconomics of Gotham, and that plays a huge role in this story, especially with the Riddler. I think that's they did an incredible job doing justice to both the Batman character and also bringing it into grounding it in a set of issues that a normal person that maybe wasn't super familiar with Batman could understand from experiencing the the real world that they live in. I loved the time period they chose to set Batman in his career in. Uh, we discussed this a lot on this podcast, but um, a Batman that is far enough along to where he can handle himself, but not so far along that he's an expert in everything yet. This isn't like the Batman you see like in the animated series where he's just like five steps ahead of everyone all the time and everything always ends with him like kind of chuckling at the the villain and unraveling their plot. Like he pointed out, he loses. And I think that that's, that is something that is, uh, uh, we hardly ever see in a Batman movie. And uh, it was done masterfully here. And ultimately, I think Pattinson just brought a totally different perspective to this role and I think that was a bold choice I think that probably when he took the role people did not no one's gonna like get a bad review for playing Bruce Wayne straight just like being playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne if you just pretty much do your best Christian Bale impression you probably get all uh, all A's from everybody Um, he took it in a totally different direction I think the role was better for it so it's so hard for me to judge it because it's I just saw it, so I know there's reasons to bias. It's very possibly the best Batman movie ever, and it's at least in the realm of, like, this and The Dark Knight are the two best, in my opinion. Yeah. So as an overall movie, I think it's like a, a 9, and as a Batman movie, it's a 10. Yeah. I pretty much echo everything you said. I'll add a few points. Um, man, as a writer, I think that... You know, we, we talked a little bit about um, when we did our podcast with about um, the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. About how when you are not doing a good job describing your setting, you're missing an opportunity to set a tone and to set 
like an urgency with your characters like is this a tense situation is this a dark situation is this a light-hearted situation right i think this batman by far does the best job of creating a setting aesthetically like through character through like weather through buildings through shadows through lighting like this setting is remarkable right yeah gotham is remarkable I think the characters do such a great job of walking the line between being 95% like a pretty accurate depiction of like what this person would be like in real life with like a 5% comic book element. We talked about this with the penguin. Like, dude, he's just, he's a real life kind of like large personality criminal that looks a little bit funny. Or like Selena Kyle is a, is a cat burglar that, you know, happens to have like seven cats, right? Yeah. Batman is as realistic of a Batman and Bruce Wayne that we have ever seen, except for the fact that, like, you know, he probably takes a little bit too many bullets to be realistic, right? When we see a film, uh, like a a superhero film, we kind of want it to, like, we want to be blown away from, like, an action perspective and stuff, but we also want it to kind of teeter more towards realism, especially with, like, these non-superpower heroes like Batman. And I think this is by far the most realistic Batman film ever. Um... And so for that, I give it a really high rating. Now, the things that I want to dock from it are, as we've talked about, I really did not like the choice of Batman tanking crazy hits. Like, and again, that that yeah. is being nitpicky, but that really did not sit well with me. The fact that like the whole movie is like crazy realistic, except for like a few lines of dialogue, a few stylistic choices that are very comic booky. But then he's like tanking shotgun hits to the chest. Like, did not like that. Um, and that's a very easy fix that I feel like should have been avoided. And then the second thing is I, I liked the riddles and I kind of liked how the riddles played out, but I just think that as you pointed out, the conclusion to some of the riddles should have been found out a little bit easier. I think they could have gone and maybe should have gone in a little bit different direction than like the pigeon, the flying pigeon, El Rata Ayada, whatever it was like. Like basically, like the whole plot hinging on the fact that like they didn't know their Spanish, or they thought they thought maybe the Riddler didn't know his Spanish. Like to me, that was a little bit weak. Um, and again, when you're looking at a detective story, like the ins and outs of the mystery has to be very important, right? Like if it's a stupid mystery, if it's a stupid answer to the mystery, that has to mean something. So I dock points away a little bit from that as well. I'll agree with you. I think that, but I'll rate it a little bit higher. I think that I think as a movie blanket movie this is a 9.34 like this is a movie that everybody should go out and see and if you didn't like it you probably just didn't like how this version of batman played out you just it it didn't fit your personal expectations but this movie is freaking incredible everybody should go see it and then as a batman film i'll i'll agree with you and say it's a 10 um i maybe 9.9 uh for the reasons that i've stated i i dock points where necessary but dude it's a beautiful film. It's probably the best story arc and character arc for a Batman. And I think it is a great first film to set up a long-term arc for Bruce Wayne becoming like going from this very realistic look at poor mental health and then becoming a better version of Bruce Wayne. That's going to be really fun to see. Um, yeah, I just, I love, you know, I could, I could ramble, but I, I guess my last thought I wanted to say was like, the decision to make a broken Bruce Wayne and tying Batman and Bruce Wayne together and making them the same person and this Bruce Wayne that is truly lost and doesn't have it figured out, I think was such a perfect artistic decision 
and I I think this has a chance to be a better trilogy than the Nolan trilogies, um, and I don't think that's a I don't think that's a risky take at all. Yeah, I think it starts really strong. I think this movie is better than Begins. So now, obviously, yeah. like the next movie Begins. has to be really good for for it to yeah. bang as hard as Dark Knight banged at the time. But we'll find out. So high expectations. And if they do Two Face versus Bat- the Joker, then maybe that'd be sweet. By the way, did you go to the website that they? built i did i i did and my computer was kind of frizzing out i i didn't get to do all the riddles and stuff but i i looked up like what the riddles were and all that stuff it's pretty cool did you uh so like uh i went to it and they you know click here for reward and has you download a zip file and it gives you all the riddler's files and it has like all his designs for the rat mazes and all his journals you can read through it's really interesting stuff so i recommend people and they have i don't know if you I, i saw that there's a um video that has like Bruce Wayne's announcement for running for mayor or not Bruce Wayne uh what's Thomas his Wayne's. father's name it has yeah, Thomas, Thomas Wayne's like full video of his running for mayor like speech so dude such a cool such a cool way to get the audience involved after the film and get people talking I, I thought that was that was neat yeah very cool very cool so I just can't dude I, I just cannot get over like the tone the setting was phenomenal and again we're a writing podcast and i feel like sometimes when we're talking about movies it can be easy to get away from the writing and and talk about the acting and talk about some of the stylistic choices but dude like you're fooling yourself if you don't think that like setting and describing things in your writing doesn't matter like this is a perfect example of why that stuff matters and agreed just bravo matt reeves very well done agreed agreed it's a banger man go see it it's worth seeing in theaters it is well, Andy, as always, thank you. Um, if you liked what you heard, please like and subscribe and give us a rating. We greatly appreciate those. It really helps us out. But most importantly, tell two friends because we want to get the word out. As always, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.